0: sky Please Hallelujah, praise Jehovah what a wonderful song that the sun and moon and stars the princes, that the dragons play. praise our mighty God see unlike the gods that are made up by man our God made man our God Israel the God of Moses, the God of Elijah and Elisha The God of David is the God of Paul. He's the God of Peter. And praise God, he's the God of you and the God of me. What a wonderful God we have. To know that he takes care of us. To know that he's looking out for us throughout our entire lives. Oh, when we look into the Bible, we see such wonderful examples of God's providential care. Far too often, God's people didn't understand what was happening. One example that springs to mind was when the children of Israel, after being liberated by God from Egypt, had their backs to the Red Sea. And what was coming towards them, but the mightiest army in the world at that day, the Egyptian army, coming forward in all their chariots with all their bronze weapons, their bows, their arrows, their swords, coming to slaughter them. And yet God parted that sea. They passed over on dry land and the enemy that came, that was coming to destroy them, was defeated. All that bronze, all their expertise was as nothing. And so was the fear and the terror, the trembling of the children of Israel as they stood there. What wonderful faith to have in the Lord our God, to not be able to tremble. Wouldn't that be wonderful? What we need to do is to surrender our hearts, our minds to the Lord. When we look throughout the Old Testament, we see many mighty examples of his provision. In the book of 2 Kings, we read about Elijah and about Elisha, his son in the faith. We read of an incident in 2 Kings. When God brought Elijah up to heaven, one of two men that never died, Enoch didn't die, God took him to heaven. Elijah didn't die, God took him to heaven. And Elisha, his son in the faith, this prophet in training with him, looked up and and seen the mighty chariots of fire. He said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? 2 Kings 2 and verse 14 always always I have been glad that Elisha did not say where is Elijah he had lost his friend he'd lost a spiritual father and if ever a sense of bereavement could have been justified it would have been in the case of Elisha for now he was on his own in a sinful land but never truly on his own there's more that stand on our side his only thought though was of the master and not of the servant all Elijah's marvelous life and work, he saw only the infinite resources that God had, that God would give. The deep cry of his soul was not for mere human sympathy, but for the manifestation of God's supernatural power and his presence in his life. The deep need of Elisha's life was at the same deep need that that is that same deep need that every earnest soul feels today we need the revelation of God we need the word of God the comfort in there and the realization of the supernatural God is real our God is real Elisha was thinking of all that God had been to Elijah and he was longing that he might be able to to be the same to him O brethren, that our hearts might have the same longing to know the God of Elijah and the God of Elisha. How much Jehovah had meant to to the servant who he had just translated into his glorious presence. He loved God. Elijah loved God. Elisha loved God. Even though the nation had turned against him, they did not bow the knee to Baal. Suddenly he was called from the solitude of Gilead, this strange lonely man whose life and character had been molded amid the mystery of nature alone with his God, as he stood with his God and against the many false prophets. He was immediately projected into the very midst of an age of unparalleled wickedness and a scene of godless culture and luxury. The beautiful capital of the ancient kingdom of Israel was under the dominion of the wicked and the worthless king Ahab. This man's conduct were wholly under the control of that infamous woman whose name has forever since stood as a symbol of every kind of evil and wickedness, Jezebel, the Sidonian idolatress. You know, it is interesting to me that in the language of Sidon, the language of the Phoenicians, The name Jezebel means princess of Baal. And yet when her name is written in the Hebrew, there's a subtle play on words. A letter is spelled differently. So instead of her being glorified as the princess of Baal, she's known as the whore of Baal. That's what God thought of her. She brought in idolatry and the people of Israel committed adultery on their God. They chased after these false gods. Single-handed, the prophet of Gilead was called upon to fight the combined forces of a wicked court, a mercenary and idolatrous priesthood, and a whole people turned from the way of godliness and sunk either in sin or heartless apathy. Selfishness. Me and not you. All about selfishness. They didn't want the God of the Bible, the God of their fathers, the God of mercy, of justice, of tenderness and grace. Oh no, they wanted a God made in their image, God's made in their image. And as we have seen throughout history, that results in one thing, absolute catastrophe for the people and utter disaster for the nation. The situation would have been a desperate one, but for the resources of Almighty God with a faith that never faltered, not once but once the mighty prophet met the emergency and calmed the hearts of the followers of God. They were not alone. No matter what gods they may have put up, no matter what statues they may have put up, no matter what pressure the people were put under to follow after these things, these idols, these gods made to justify their idolatry, You could still count on the God of Israel, the God of Elijah. He was not going to leave them or forsake them. He was not going to abandon them, even though they abandoned him. God had sent his prophets, and they would either listen or they would not. But God is still God, whether people believe in him or not. At his word, the heavens were sealed and the harvest withered. And at the same word, the treasures of rain were opened and the earth gave forth her fruit. The ravens of the wilderness ministered unto him and the widow's little store of meal and oil was multiplied until the months of famine had gone. At last all Israel was gathered at his command for a mighty showdown. It's a wonderful incident which happens in the Bible where the prophet of God goes up against the the prophets, the priests of these idols I call it the Battle of the Barbecues. If someone's going to win. It's not going to be them. It happened on Mount Carmel, and there he stood alone to vindicate the name of Almighty Jehovah against the wicked Jezebel, against the angry King Ahab, the eight hundred prophets of Baal, and the myriads of Israel. The people were there to shut, show, They showed up. They wanted to see see this thing. So the altar was prepared. The trenches were dug and filled with water. The vain attempts of the heathen prophets were repeated again and again, only to be met with total failure. Then the final momentous test was uttered and the power of omnipotence summoned to send the heavenly fire. Where was the power of their gods? Quick as a lightning flash it fell devouring the sacrifices licking up the floods that filled the trenches and blazing before the wondrous gaze of the assembled myriads until their intense emotion could hold back no longer and thundering from the mighty court the shout went up echoing from Carmel's rocky cliffs the Lord he is the God Jehovah he is the God 1 Kings 18 verse 39 there's only one God. There is none other. And it certainly wasn't the gods of the heathen. Swiftly the victory was followed by its awful finish. The prophets of Baal were slain before the reaction had time to come. Then bending an agonized prayer before his mighty God, the prophet claimed as the climax of the whole wondrous scene, the opening heavens and the descending rain. Like some great leader, in mighty triumph he ran before the chariot to Ahab to the entrance of the palace gates while the torrents fell and the nation rejoiced that at length the judgment was passed and the heart of the people turned back again to their rightful God. But even clearer, even clearer than this, was the revelation of Jehovah's power in the life of Elijah. The God of Elijah had the power to save. He had the power to deliver, the power to judge, and the power to comfort. He would make things right. To him, it was permitted before any other messenger of Jehovah to burst open the very gates of death itself and summon back the departed spirits from the unseen world. When his work was done, a yet higher triumph awaited him, for he himself was raised even beyond the church of death and was carried to the heavenly reward, to that world with horses and chariots of fire. The Lord God of Elijah is the God of life and the God of death. He has control over death and life. He's the God of heaven, the God of earth the God of nations and princes and kings, the God of nature and grace. He's the God of judgment and the God of retribution. Far too many do not understand that the God of the Bible is a God of all-consuming fire, mightier than all the forces of nature, of man, of earth, and of hell. There are many who believe that the God of the Bible and the devil are somehow equal. Satan is no equal to the Lord our God. The accuser is no equal to the to the mighty Jehovah. Make no mistake of this, there is no competition. God is firmly in control. This mighty God whose working Elisha had witnessed in the life of his master, Elijah and whose presence he claimed as he went forth proved his infinite resources in a life yet more wonderful than even Elijah's had been. Elisha had seen Elisha, and I know a lot of people get them mixed up. It's so easy, Elisha, Elijah. Those of you who know us know that we have recently been blessed with a, a new dog. His name is Geordie, and my name is George. So there's quite a bit of confusion in the house for the dog and me. But still, the names are subtly different. And so it's the same for Elijah and Elisha. Elisha's seen Elijah's life. He's seen how God had taken care of him. That even when the enemy came about him, God took care of him. But Elisha, his life was a larger life than even Elijah's. While the prophet of fire was a more startling figure, and perhaps reached at times a, a higher a higher flight than his successor, yet elisha's sphere took a broader a broader sweep, and re- and his reach had a plane nearer to humanity at large and more helpful to the ordinary man and woman. We would suggest to you that you take a single week and every day read a chapter for seven successive days, commencing with the second chapter of second kings reading on to the seventh and then concluding on the seventh day with the 13th chapter which gives the last scenes in his closing life such a review would bring god clearer to our conceptions to our knowledge it will awaken in us the intense desire for such a life and such a walk with almighty god Far too often we look at the Old Testament books and we, we think, oh they're so obscure, they're only obscure because we're not reading them. You will find that the New Testament is concealed there within the Old, and the Old and the, the Old Testament is revealed within the New. There are many great examples within the Old Testament, and these men's lives are great examples for us. So let us glance at some of these representative scenes from these chapters. Looking back to the last days of Elijah and the transition of his ministry to his successor, we are struck at the very first illustration of God's resources, for they are many, with the wonderful way in which Jehovah shows his ability to show his agents and to supply the worker with his needs at every emergency and to be there at every crisis in the history of his kingdom. Elijah had just failed and fled from Jezebel in the supreme moment of his triumph for fear of being slain. Too elated perhaps, the reaction had come before he was prepared to withstand it. And so that humiliating chapter is written in the story of his life. He arose and went for his life. 1 Kings 19 and verse 3. But notice something, and the reason I draw our attention to this. Notice how tenderly, how tenderly God dealt with him. He let him run until he was thoroughly tired out. He let him rest under the juniper tree. And awoke him again and again and again, ministering to his hunger and weariness until the tired prophet was rested and refreshed. And then God sent him to Horeb, that he might give him his last commission's. One of these commissions was a release from the work of which for a moment he allowed himself to grow tired and with it the appointment of those that were to succeed him. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus was the Lord's message, 1 Kings nineteen fifteen. And when you come, anoint Hazliel to be king over Syria and Jehu the son of Nimshi, shall you anoint to be king over Israel And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall you anoint to be prophet in your room. How swiftly he was excused, but it was merciful. How soon a successor was elected, and how easy it is for God to go through the court of a sinful kingdom or to the farm field where the humble Elisha is following the oxen and the plough and call for the instrument he needs just at the moment he is required of oh how humbling it is to our self-importance and our pride god does not need any voice and it is just an honor and a privilege that he lets us serve him we must not think too highly of ourselves as i would remind any preacher do not think too highly of yourself remember in the old testament God had a donkey proclaim his word to men. So do not think too highly of yourselves as a great many do. I know of one preacher that said, "Whatever Paul could do, I could do." Really? You could speak Kanye, Greek and Latin, you could you could heal people? I do not think so. We thank God that he has given us an ability just to speak just to usher his words sometimes loudly and sometimes softly, but just to usher his words and to say, obey the gospel, get right with God, while yet you may. And we do this, we do this out of love, out of true love for the souls of humanity, knowing that only for God and only for the fact that somebody took a risk, somebody said and told the truth to us that we too would be on that highway to hell instead of the straight and narrow road to heaven. Yes, God lets us serve him. And it is a privilege, not a burden. It is an honor to serve our worthy God. So let us be very careful how we get tired too soon or ask to be relieved. God may take us at our word and he has plenty of others to fill our place. Secondly, we have another illustration in 1 Kings 22-34 of how easy it is for God to pick out an instrument, even an unconscious instrument, for His work and for His plans. Long before He had decreed and announced the punishment of King Ahab for his crimes, and his long suffering had and long, and in his long suffering He had waited and spared the wicked king again and again and again. At last, the judgment came. But the means were most solemn in their simplicity. Ahab was just returning from the battlefield where he had escaped the assaults of the foe and was securely riding in his chariot away from harm and danger, back to his palace, back to his wife. And a certain man drew a bow at a venture, and the arrow spread, sped from the string, the sender neither knowing nor caring whither. At that very moment, by a slight movement, the joints of Ahab's coat of mail were opened at the very spot which that arrow struck. It entered and pierced him to the heart, and he cried, Carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And as the sun sank in the west, his life ebbed away, and the judgment long threatened was at last fulfilled. Yes, it is. It is easy for God to strike at his foes how little we need to worry and trouble ourselves about our enemies Paul writes in Romans 12 19 dearly beloved avenge not yourselves for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord a blatant infidel it is said was once returning with a party of his friends from a marketplace and he had been cursing God all day and all night And his friends were cursing God. And as they were coming home, a tiny little fly got under the saddle of his horse, bit the horse through him, and he broke his neck. Do not curse God. The God we talk about, the God of righteousness, of judgment, is the God of Elisha, the God of the apostles. This is our God. And let us trust him. Let us fear him, let us honor him in all our ways, in humbleness, in thankful praise. Let us commit the keeping of our souls to him who is a faithful heavenly father, our faithful creator. The God of Elisha is the God that can remove the most formidable difficulties from our pathway. And it's so hard when we face those trials and tribulations, isn't it? When like the children of Israel, we feel as if we have our backs to the sea, that there's no hope, that there's no way out. It's then that we need to cast all our cares upon God. There are many people who would look upon us in our, the hardest times in our lives and say, we've driven them to their knees. Yeah. Christian is never more powerful than when he is on his knees to his heavenly father. Because there you have the best shot at deliverance. The moment Elisha had received the promised power of the spirit of God, he was met not by bands of welcoming angels, but by the swelling tide of the angry Jordan that refused to allow him to pass over to the field of his future ministry where the critical young students of Bethel were watching to see what kind of prophet he was. But with the single cry, where is the God of Elijah? He smote the waters and called upon the same almighty resources and the floods divided and the angry torrent became an escort to open the way to the other side. And as he marched across in triumph, the critical students, those who had learned from him to be prophets, to be preachers, awed and humbled bowed at his feet and humbly said the spirit of Elijah does rest on Elisha beloved the very first thing that you and I will meet when we take home when we take some new hold of God will be opposition expect it expect opposition Expect our own version of a swollen river Jordan, of an overwhelming obstacle. But what are you going to do about it? There is nothing you can do but remember that God can can, God, God can do, and God can turn at once your weakness into strength. From your doubts and difficulties He can give you strength. He can give you sufficiency and your cry will be, who are you, O great mountain, before the God of Elisha? You shall become a plain, Zechariah 4 and verse 7. God will smooth those pathways for us. We must trust him. The God of Elisha is able to control the forces of nature. In 2 Kings 2.20 and 4.42, there are two fine examples of the power of God through his servant Elisha in the natural world. The first is the healing of barren soil by the sprinkling of some salt unto the spring of waters. And the second was a multiplying of the bread which the wants of a a hundred men were satisfied from twenty little buns, even as in later ages on the Galilean shore The 5,000 were fed by the master's miracle. And we still have a God who can help us. He can help us on the farm. He can help us in the kitchen. He can help us in the field, in the crops, in the harvest, in our lives. He gives us our daily bread, the word of God as well. He can multiply the little which the housewife has until it becomes an ample store for her little family circle. So God is working today, he works in our lives, as we read the word of God and his will is revealed in our lives, it emboldens our souls, it encourages us at times of stress. The God of Elisha is a God of emergencies. In the third chapter of 2 Kings, we read about the story of a water famine in the Valley of Eden in the wonderful deliverance and the wonderful deliverance which came through Elisha. This says the Lord was the prophet's answer to the unbelief of Jeroboam and the fears of King Jehoshaphat. You shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water that you may drink both you and your cattle and your beasts. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. The God of Elisha can send water where there is neither wind nor rain and nor any outward sign of it. He can give us help when all human life, when all human help fails us. He can give us help when, like Jehoshaphat, we are even in a place where we should not be. And it is but a light thing for him, to do the greatest of things for those who trust him and love him. His resources are so superabounding that we can never exhaust them. And what he does for us is but a loving provocation for us to ask him to do yet more. The God of Elisha is the God of grace as well as of temporal blessing. The fourth chapter of second Kings gives us an incident gives us an incident of the widow's oil and the wonderful deliverance it wrought for her as he poured into it poured into the empty vessels that oil and multiplied it and grew it until it became a fortune enough to pay off all her debts for all of her days. We all need to use what we have and to take the trials and needs that come to us as empty vessels into which the He can pour his fullness and transform every difficulty into an occasion of blessing and an occasion of praise. The same God still waits and wants to heal all that will come to him in the same patient, persistent, and overwhelming faith. You see, the God of Elisha is the God of the supernatural. He is the God who reveals himself through us in the scriptures. He is the God who gives us hope, where there is no hope. The incident of the sixth chapter of 2 Kings is a fine fine illustration of the principle of the supernatural. Going down with his college boys, Elisha had decided he was going to build a a college out of logs on the banks of the Jordan. And one of the students lost his axe head in the water, and the prophet met the emergency by commanding the iron to swim. Thus showing that the God of power is superior even to the laws of nature. This is just what the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ proves. And makes practicable for us also. We still have the God who can raise the dead. Who can part the waters. Who can rise above even his own laws when the interests of his children require it and who is head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all, Ephesians 1 verse 22 so where is the God of Elijah and Elisha, of Moses, of David of Peter and Paul he is wherever his people's need requires him to be he is but a prayer away He is there in the darkest of times. And even in the darkest of times in the past, in the most sinful ages, he is still what he was in the age of Jezebel and Ahab. No matter how powerful the forces of the world and darkness might seem to be, like Satan himself, they are like a fly waiting to be crushed beneath his mighty power. He is the God of God. who meets us, whether it be in the palace, Mount Carmel, in the battle, or at the plough, or with the widow in our little cottage, anywhere and everywhere that need can claim and faith can trust him. He is there. He is there with us at the darkest times and at the brightest times. In the middle of the night when we fear, he is there. Will we allow him to take away our fears? Will we cast our cares before him and trust him? To remember the God of angel armies. Remember this man, the prophet Elijah and Elisha. They were men of the people. And their lives teach us that our God, our Christ, is the Christ of the common people still. The Messiah of all. And his promise And his grace are for every situation and every suffering human being. He is where faith can trust him. Prayer can wait for him. And patience can hold fast until he comes. This God is our God. The God and Father of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13 and verse 8. May the Lord help us to understand us better. May the Lord help us to trust him more. So when we ask, where is this mighty God? The God we read of in the Bible. The God that raised his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. He's right here. He will meet us where our greatest need is. And he can be your God too if he's not your God today. He is the God that can send chariots of fire. He is the God of mercy and grace. He's the God who sent his own Son to take the punishment upon the cross that was rightfully ours. He is the God who took sin upon himself. In those ages when men died for their gods, our God, our God died for us. The emperor of Rome was considered a living God. Men that were brought before him would say, those who are about to die, salute you. Yet our God died for us so that we wouldn't have to die. So that we wouldn't have to die spiritually and go to hell for all eternity. Those men who died for their gods died for their God's pleasure. And yet it was God's pleasure. God the Father's, that his Son should take our punishment upon himself. What a mighty God we have. We must honor him, trust him, fear him, and be in awe of him at all times. In Galatians 3.27, we're told, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ. Into Christ. In Acts 22, 16, we read the urgency of it. Paul, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, one of the most humblest men that ever lived, who knew that all glory and might and power and honour goes to God Almighty and not to ourselves. He had been on his way to Damascus to persecute the Christians. He'd be given a letter by the religious authorities of the day to hunt them down, bring them to Jerusalem. Yet he was met on the road. He was met on the road by the mighty Lord Jesus himself. And when was Paul saved? Was he saved when he'd seen the light? When he was falling? When he hit the ground? No. Days later, suffering from blindness, and after days of prayer before God, Ananias walked in and said, and now why tarriest thou? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins. His sins were washed away when he was baptized, when he obeyed the call and the command of the gospel. Those are the terms of the entrance into the kingdom of God, the everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be overthrown, with the king who cannot be usurped. All will bend their knee to the king of kings and answer to, that, to him for how they ruled upon this earth was a pleasing or unpleasing to him he is the great judge he is the king of kings he is the God of Elijah and praise God he's the God of me and the God of you he's the God that gives us justice and comfort and when you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins know when your sins are washed away You will sleep the sleep of an innocent babe that night. Knowing that you are right with God. We serve a mighty God. If you're not a Christian this day, I beg you with all my heart and soul, get right with him while yet you may. And if you are a Christian and you need our prayers, our help in any way, we are here for you as we stand and sing the song of invitation. Thank you.